Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to editor Bob Ducey about his work on Glass Onion. Ducey is an Ace Eddie nominee for Knives Out and a three-time Saturn Award nominee, where he is a two-time winner for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, and Knives Out. Glass Onion was directed by Ryan Johnson. I first just have to congratulate you on a, another successful um, film with Ryan. I absolutely loved Glass Onion. I think it was just the perfect um, holiday blockbuster that I think everyone just needed. And it was just so wonderful. And the performances were just outstanding. And the production design and the costumes and the editing were just all um, a like on a plus and so I just I have to start off by saying that it was just a true pleasure to watch and um it's just been so wonderful being able to watch your career and be able to watch this sort of relationship with Ryan um grow as as time has gone on well thank you so much for uh, those kind words I mean we had such a blast making the movie and I think it kind of shows on screen I mean you know, it was just such a pleasure. And then for the movie to turn out really well, at least in my opinion, uh, it's, it's, it's really satisfying. Mm. And so I have to start with the elephant in the room. Um, what is it with the Legos? Oh, the Legos. That's so funny about that. It's a lot of traction, right? Um, so Ryan, uh, to keep himself busy while we're in the room working together, he builds these elaborate Lego sets. Uh, and it started, uh, I don't know, I think, yeah, we started, she started doing that during Last Jedi. And so the last three movies he's built to all, the Titanic one is the best one. It's really incredible. It's this huge, you know, took, took him an endless amount of time to put it together. but. You know, when you spend a bunch of time in the room with somebody, it gives you know gives them something to do, keeps them. While I'm while I'm, I'm doing my job. It's like uh, uh, watching paint dry sometimes. So he's got something. <laughs> he's got he's got something to amuse himself. And and then in the end, you know, you end up with this uh, beautiful Lego model, the uh, T Street uh, uh, over T Street where um, Ryan's uh, offices are. Uh, uh, he's he's they're they're all over the office there. As he's he's built quite a few of them now. Mm. I just I, I thought that was a, a a very interesting little thing that took off. So I, I had. To... I know, I know, I like it. You know, one of the things that was funniest about it is that is that his quote was uh, something like, uh, it, "It makes it makes the editing process less awkward." And I was yeah, like, less, less awkward. awkward? <laughs> what are you talking about? I know what he means, though. Actually, he, what he what he means is, he, you know, it gives him something to do instead of just sitting there. You know. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's and, actually really fun. It's actually really fun, and I look forward to I, I look forward to the next movie and see what he's going to build. He's run out of a lot of the big ones, so we'll see what happens. What was the one that ended this last project? Oh God, what did he What did he finish with? It's terrible. I can't remember what it was. I uh, guess Titanic was on the last movie. Uh, I'm I'm to- well. Yeah, no, I can't because I remember the thing he finished before that. Now I'm sorry. I can't do it. I wish I could remember, but I can't. I know ta- there's a Taj Mahal. I'm hoping that that shows up at some point. Uh, well, the secret remains and someone will find it out. Someone yes, yes. Well, I, I, I'm not dodging, I promise. I just don't remember. Yes, no, all good. Um, so I want to ask first, I mean, what was the biggest thing that you learned um, that helped inform 
um, the process for Glass Onion from the first Knives Out? How did you um, sort of help bridge those two gaps? Well, you know, doing sequels are always a little bit tricky because um, if you're making a second movie, it, it, it generally indicates that, you know, the first movie uh, did well. Um, and that means that there's a fan base for the movie. And so, you know, you start out with, you know, having a high bar to beat. And I, I think that that was certainly the case with uh, Knives Out going into Glass Onion. And, you know, then the other complexity of a, a sequel is, you know, you, you want to give the audience some portion of what made them love the first movie, but you can't just do a copy of the first film because if, if you do that, it's, it's not going to be very satisfying to the audience. And so uh, I think it was a, a goal of ours. I mean, certainly from its inception in, you know, Ryan's screenplay, um, you know, the very nature of the movie, the, you know, the, the, the locale, all those sorts of things were, were already built in. Um, but you still want to make the experience, you know, a whole, a whole new experience. Um, so, so there's that challenge. Um, and then I think some of the things that are helpful about doing a sequel or, or that, or that makes it in interesting is that, you know, certainly for me, I've done, I've done quite a few, uh, uh, sequel movies is that, you know, you bring back some characters that you know, you love, they're kind of like your movie friends sitting in front of you and, and you get to experience them again, but you have the advantage. And in this case, uh, Benoit Blanc um, uh, continues uh, from, from the first movie, obviously as the anchor of, of the, this series of films. And I, I just knew so much more about him uh, than, I, than I did uh, when, when he was a brand new character. And that's a tremendous advantage because, you know, you, you, you just, I mean, you spend so much time with these characters that they they really are like close friends that you've never met. You know, you know every detail and nuance about how they talk and what they might say and what the nature of their character is. Um, and I and I think that that's a, for me um, certainly one of the the great advantages in 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 the, this. But but I will say um, that. But I, I always felt a, um, a tremendous amount of pressure to make sure that we delivered an experience that was, um, you know, as good as or better than the first film. Um, just, just, it's just sort of as a matter of being, you know, professional and wanting to make sure that the audience uh, was satisfied. So I, I, for me, it was always on my mind that we, that we had a very high bar to um, match or beat. Mm hmm. And what is it about blockbusters that excite you? I mean, just looking at um, your career, you've done quite a quite a large amount of sort of big budget films. And I'm just curious what what excites you about those projects? I mean, you mean blockbusters in general? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll tell you that I, I mean, if I think back on it, right, when I when I was first, you know, trying to decide what I wanted to to, to do, um, a movie that was really Im Im important to me and both, both just in general and being involved in filmmaking and, um, and, and more specifically in, in editing um, was Top Gun. And um, it is a movie that I really loved as an audience member, but one of the things that 
you know, I, I specifically remember about the experience of watching the movie was the way the audience reacted to the film and the way the audience, um, you know, cheered and, and laughed and all of the great sort of responses that you can get from a big audience. And I just thought, that's what I want to do. You know, I, I want to, I, I want to be involved in, in, in making movies that, that lots of people see um, specifically because it's what I loved about movies. I mean, like I love going to a movie uh, when I was a kid and then even as a young adult where, you know, the audience is engaged with the films. And I think that, you know, sort of, you, you know, summer movies, uh, you know, what we, what we might call blockbuster franchise, that sort of thing, are the sorts of movies that really excite people. I mean, they're not, you know, for me, it's interesting because they're not the only movies I consume. I, I'm, my interest in films is extremely varied, but what I love doing is working on things that we go and we preview and you, you feel the audience react to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I just find that, you know, in, in, intrinsically pleasing. Mm. yeah no I, I love that uh, and, and I'll say I'll say one other thing that's interesting about doing big films and by the way I, I I really do like to vary it because they're also exhausting in their own way but one of the things that's so interesting about doing uh big films is that you have a lot of um you, you have a lot of resources and it's not just money you have the uh uh, uh, uh you know you, you have a lot of ways of uh, making things work that maybe don't work as well uh, uh, as, as you want them to. And, um, you know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of toys, you know, and I, I, I always find that kind of interesting, but if I really get down to it, what I love doing the most is, uh, is, is character work. And every movie is exactly the same when it comes to that. So, you know, I've tried, I mean, particularly, you know, more recently, um, to, to sort of, you know, vary the kind of films that I do because there are pleasures from doing all kinds of films. Mm. And can you talk to me about how the editing process of the, the new set of characters that were given was different than the first one and how this was just sort of a, a new territory that you were able to sort of step into? Well, first of all, I'd say that one of the things that's awesome about a movie like Glass Onion is, uh, you know, is that there's there's an ensemble cast, so you immediately that's 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 extremely exciting, um, and you know the first movie had that as well, but you know the the sort of the flavor and nature of this movie is you know it's a bit broader, um, it's a bit uh, more comedic uh, than the first film, and so you get to sort of exercise different muscles, you know, uh, um, uh, it, it, you're you're dealing with kind of a a, a slightly different tone and 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 different kinds of characters, and they're a ton of fun, and and so I as 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 much as I I love doing the first movie, um, you know this was you know I mean honestly it's like uh, what I was talking about with the audience experiencing is experiencing a sequel. It, it's the same for me, you know, because because it it has a lot of the same. Uh, nature as the first film, but on the other hand, it's a, it's a whole new set of flavors, and I, I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, it, it was a it, it was really delightful every day to uh, have that cast of characters in front of me. I mean, honestly, dailies come in, uh, and and it's just like it's like Christmas morning. You get all this great footage that you get to um, uh, to construct, and and it was always always a blast. Yeah, and that was actually my next question for you: was the dailies? I mean, 
what what did that process look like for you, um, especially um, in sort of the height of COVID when you were probably receiving the first ones, I would assume? Well, I, you know, I, I go on location uh, uh, with the movie and, uh, and, and we were, you know, we were in um, Greece to start and then in Belgrade. And so you mentioned COVID, you know, that's sort of complicated things. It was a you know, everybody sort of had a straight jacket on them and how you could, uh, how you could work. And in all of our interactions, there were different zones and our different groupings of zones for this, the, you know, red zone, yellow zone, and there are all these things that have to navigate. And so it creates a lot of complications um, that are logistical, but in the end, you know, the process really does just come down to me sitting in a room and the dailies show up and, you know, you, you, you start to work your way through it. So, so even though in this particular case, and I, I know everyone who made movies where things were kind of locked down um, uh, had these same challenges, uh, you know, in, in the end, it was really just more of a nuisance and, and uh, uh, the work was actually pretty similar to how it normally is. Hmm. And can you talk to me about when Ryan sort of hops into the, into the studio with you and, and, and what that process looks like? Sure. I mean, you know, to get into the nuts and bolts of it, uh, you know, as I said, I'm I'm on location uh, uh, with Ryan and and uh, I'm putting the movie together as they shoot. And, uh, you know, I'd say he'd typically come into editorial maybe twice a week or so after uh, he finished shooting and we might go over, you know, a few sequences and see how we're doing. I mean, one of the great benefits of being on location with the production is that we're able to provide, you know, pretty vital feedback. Sometimes you need to make little adjustments about, you know, the tone or there's some issue with this character not quite working or sometimes, you know, we really need this coverage that we don't have. And we would do all these sorts of things. And, you know, um, I, I don't know exactly what portion of the movie he would have seen uh, by the time we, we end, end up, you know, finish shooting. But, you know, it's a decent amount of, uh, of material that he's seen. And then we get back and um, typically I take two weeks. Uh, the movie is watchable at, at, at the end of two weeks and and you you can see the movie um but the way that ryan and i like to work together and i've done this in a few other uh um uh, situations um we we put up real one which is about 20 minutes of the movie and we work our way through real one and then you know consecutively through all the reels before uh the two of us actually sit down and watch the entire movie so it's a pretty quick process you know maybe we spend uh you know two, three weeks doing that. And then we watch the movie for the first time. Uh, uh, the, I mean, I've seen it, but Ryan has not seen it as a, as a movie until we take this uh, preliminary pass through the reels. Um, and that's basically the way the process works. And then the rest of the way, it's really just a matter of, uh, you know, what the various needs are for the movie. I mean, Glass Onion uh, has actually quite a few visual effects in it. There are environmental things because um, while the movie was shot on location in Greece and, and much of what you see there uh, actually uh, uh, exists. There's a, a resort called Amanzo uh, where we, we shot, uh, you know, the majority of um, uh, Miles' house. Uh, it's not really an island. Uh, so, so uh, you know, to make it look like an island, those are all visual effects. And then things like the glass onion itself, the big office that Miles spends his time in, that's, that's a set uh, that we shot in Belgrade. Um, and there are visual effects to make it look like we're, we're not on a soundstage. So there's a surprising number of visual effects in, 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 in Glass Onion. And um, 
that's a that's an extra process that we really didn't deal with on um, on on the first movie. So so there's a lot of interaction between uh, Ryan and me and the visual effects uh, uh, departments, and we just kind of get our get the movie in shape and have some temporary visual effects in and start doing friends and family screenings. We screen the movie. Um, uh, we screen the movies a lot. Um, you know, uh, I, I would say certainly once every two weeks, but but sometimes even more often than that. And then we get to the point where we're we're not just screening it internally; we're screening it um, for friends and family. You know, which tend to be um, uh, writers, directors, editors. Uh, you know, other sorts of folks that we're friends with that can give a you know sort of a professional evaluation of the movie. But it's not the same as a you know real audience because. Um, you know, the real audience doesn't speak exactly the same language as the professionals. And, and in fact, I mean, you know, there are end goals. So eventually we put the movie up in front of, um, uh, of real preview audiences and see what they're thinking. So, you know, the whole process, I mean, you know, it, it, it takes over a year um, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and that pretty much sums it up. I mean, look, it's generally speaking outside of the, you know, we, we review each reel the first time or we, do, we re review the movie one reel at a time to start. The rest of what I just said is a, a fairly conventional uh, approach to uh, uh, editorial on movies. Mm. And so, I mean, with the feedback that you were talking about with fr uh, friends and family, I mean, was there anything um, that you took away that was most valuable from that feedback? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, the thing that's great about those screenings um, over at Ryan's offices, uh, uh, we have we have a small screening room. I don't know, it seats I think maybe fourteen, something like that. So you know, once you take Ryan and I out of it, because we're sitting in there, uh, that means we, we would show the movie to you know twelve people at a time. And the thing about the twelve people at a time that that is is not as good as three hundred and fifty people is three hundred and fifty people in a real audience give you you know just sort of a, a better macro view of things. But what's great about the the the, the twelve people is you just talk to everybody and you you can say so who'd you think was was the villain right mm. and when did you yeah all right so so you thought it was miles when what what when did you or what did you think when miles found the glass and it became clear that someone tried to poison him it's like well then you find out well yeah i thought it was miles but then at that point i didn't think it was miles and so that's good right so you you can really get into the total micro um details uh, of uh, you know anything that might be working or, 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 or more importantly not working and when we find that there would be issues then you'd know oh, I'm gonna every time I'm gonna poll everyone in the audience our, our small little audience about this and see if the corrections we've made have fixed it so it's invaluable I mean it's in, it, it, you, you get all this great feedback and and with a smaller group even though it's not going to give you the you, you know those the sort of broader uh, uh, you know, issues and delights of the movie, you really can get into the, in, into the micro. And we, we learned uh, tons of things uh, about uh, things that worked and things that didn't work. Um, uh, and, and so by the time you actually take the movie out and preview it, you have a pretty good idea uh, of what kind of response the movie is gonna have. Mm. And was there a sequence in this film that was um, more challenging than others um, that you would say? Well, I, I mean, you know, Sort of, sort of the more obvious things to say, or you know, there's a couple of sequences. There's um, uh, what we call the disruptor scene. It's when everybody is sitting around, the whole cast is sitting around uh, in the pool house, and Miles gives his um, his version of what disruption theory is. Um, 
there was a ton of film on that scene. It was, um, it's a long scene. Uh, and so that was complicated. And then uh, the same is true of the scene where we um, reset um, and we learn that um, uh, Andy has actually been her twin sister, Helen. And this is on, uh, at, at Blanc's apartment uh, on, on his balcony. And that, that scene, as written, is about a nine minute scene and what's actually in the movie is seven minutes. So these are very long scenes. And again, with a ton of film. So that scene was complicated because of that. But these are fairly just normal things. I mean, if I think about that particular scene, the scene on the, the balcony did present um, some small issues and things that we uh, discovered with our friends and family in the, the screenings. Um, and that was, we do so many things in that scene. You know, we, 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 we reset the time. So the audience is disoriented. Where am I? When am I? And who is this? And that's a lot of things to do on a cut. And so it's always with, when you do something like that, when you go, okay, we're gonna, we're, we're, we're gonna reset the movie. It's not something that the audience is specifically um, used to. And so we found that, that while we eventually got the whole audience to understand everything that we needed them to understand with some small portion of our, of our friends and family audiences, we kept finding that we were having a little bit of a problem where people were disoriented longer than we wanted. And the problem with being disoriented too long is then you're dropping out of the movie, trying to just think about, wait, what's in your, and you're not only missing things, but you're not enjoying the delights of the film. So we, we, you know, we endeavored to, um, to create some fixes and, and, and out of these small screenings, we, we, we did two seemingly minor fixes that, that solved the problem. One is, as originally designed, uh, when you, we cut directly off of, of, of Blanc's uh, line uh, um, after uh, Andy has been shot, and we go directly on a cut to the door knock at Blanc's apartment. And that was a lot to ask for the audience. And so, we decided to rhyme it with the very opening of the movie so that there was a much more noticeable reset. So we, we, we now went to black and also reprised the fugue that starts at the very beginning of the film. So the experience for the audience was the movie started in black with a fugue playing and a door knock. And we now replicated that exact same experience for this reset. And the hope was that would define this moment as being something very significant. Whereas the straight cut just makes it a little bit, well, it's, it's, it's kind of cool and clean. And it's not that it didn't work at all, but we felt we left too many audience members behind for a little bit too long. So that was, that was one thing that we did. And then the other thing that we did, which was extremely minor and on some level, um, a little bit hard to understand that we needed to do, but we did it anyway, and it worked, which is Helen, as she, she describes herself as Andy's sister, and we changed it to Andy's twin sister. That's all, and if, and if you look at the movie, you'll, I mean, well, you can't actually tell because it, it's a great cheat, but on screen where Helen used to say my twins, I mean, my sister, she now says my twin sister. And that minor thing, because it sort of seemed obvious to us, and I felt that way in the screenplay as well, that 
well, this must have been, you know, a twin sister, right? Because the person looks exactly the same. But for whatever reason, there was some portion of the audience that this was confusing and just saying it out loud made it much more clear. So those two things, which were, you know, creating a little bit of, I mean, we had a little bit of a problem there. Inserting those two, two changes, those editorial changes made the problem all but disappear. So, I mean, that's an example of, you know, the kind of problem solving that comes out of, um, you know, early screenings. Mm. And was there a character in this particular project that you were more attached to than than the others? You know, it's hard to, to it's hard to say in a way because I love them all, you know, and I and, and I really mean that because even some of the smaller roles, the actors are doing so much to make themselves present that what I really felt was an obligation to all of them at all times to make sure that they were present in the most appropriate way. And sometimes, by the way, that, um, that led to reducing something, you know, someone who was, was maybe taking away a little bit too much of the attention for a moment that was not really about that att attention, even though it was a great moment in the movie, it was better to take it out to give all the characters their, uh, their due. Mm. But, but I mean, I love everyone. And, you know, I mean, everybody has their, I mean, everybody has their charms. I, I, I mean, you know, Kate Hudson is, is so hilarious as Birdie and, and Catherine Hahn is doing all this wonderful stuff. And it, it goes, it goes to everyone, but, you know, Janelle, she basically plays three roles in the movie and she plays Andy, she plays Helen and she plays Helen playing Andy. And I just found that extraordinary. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, she really becomes a, uh, a great, I don't know, almost apprentice to Blanc. And mm -hmm. their relationship really develops. And I think that it's such an interesting role because as we were just talking about that scene on the balcony, halfway through the movie, we discover that the character that she was playing, who we were watching, is not who we thought it was. Mm -hmm. somebody completely different and not only that the character that we thought it was is actually already dead and we didn't know that as an audience member and so she had to keep all these balls in the air um with so many different um nuances playing as i said basically three characters because if you go back and you look at the movie and now with the knowledge of you know after you've watched it the first time of, of knowing that I'm not, what I'm watching right now is, is not what I think. There's so much detail and, and subtlety and nuance to her performance. Um, I mean, I think it really is the, 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 the glue that, that, that holds the, the movie together. And, and, and also uh, emotionally, it's the thing that as the audience we're attached to, which is you know, the most significant um, uh, expectation you can possibly have. And then I would also be, you know, I would also be remiss to not mention Daniel Craig as, as Benoit Blanc because, you know, I mean, it's it's an incredible invention, that character. I mean, he's hilarious and he's, you know, the smartest guy in the room and he's, you know, sometimes goofy. He's, he's just fan, fantastic. I, I, it, it amazes me uh, that, that Daniel has a, 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 a character in his um, in his filmography now that, that you know, rivals uh, uh, James Bond. I, I think that that's, you know, uh, really quite something and, and awfully hard to do. And so, you know, he's, it's, it's an amazing, wonderful character. 
No, absolutely. I, I would 100% agree with, with the, in terms of a favorite, even though very hard to pick. Um, I, no, I, it is. It's impossible because, it, I mean, I mean, really, because everyone, I mean, you know, Jessica, Madeline, I mean, everybody's doing such great, you know, and oh, and Ed Norton is the villain. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, it, like I said, I mean, every morning is Christmas, you know, it's like mm. uh, you just, you just come in and you go, wow, what, what, what wonderful stuff am I going to get today? Mm. Well, Bob, I know we're right at time, but I want to thank you so much um, for chatting me with chatting with me this afternoon. This has just been an absolute joy. Well, thanks so much. And I, I really appreciate you uh, having me uh, on. It was uh, lovely talking to you as well. Uh, that means so much. Um, but I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And, and same to you. And, and I'm endlessly grateful that you like the movie so much. It's it. You, you know, what's funny. It's like it matters how how the public feels but you know we're all human and so the individual response to any movie is uh is is always the one that i i find most impactful so so i, I appreciate your kind thoughts no of course i mean whenever you put Catherine hahn in a movie it's hard for me i not know, to know so right? i i, I know. just it, it it is very hard for for me not to love something with Catherine hahn in it and then you just add on the layers of everyone else so it yes. it's it's impossible. Um, but no, thank you again. And uh, can't wait to see what's next and where where Benoit Blanc goes on his on his third adventure. Well, Ryan is writing away, I believe. So uh, I, 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 I think it'll be sooner rather than later. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.